Exodus chapter number 3. The first time that the word memorial is used in the scriptures in this passage. And <clears throat> so we'll begin there this morning. As I begin to read, we are with Moses as he stands before God in the presence of the burning bush. I'm not going to begin at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, God has already called him up. He's already seen it and responded to God. God's conversing with him, proclaiming his call upon his life to go to Egypt and to lead his people out of captivity. And God, or Moses is, you know, arguing uh, and God is sending him forward anyway. And so then God tells him here in, in the process, he begins to reveal to him exactly who it is that he sees in this burning bush and who he's talking to. In verse number 13, the Bible says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken unto thy voice, and thou shalt come, and the elders of Israel unto thee, and the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may do sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now I want to speak this morning on this thought, a memorial for the ages. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you again for the time here. Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity of mind and thought and be able to uh, focus on what you've given needs to be said today. I pray that our hearts will be open and receptive to it. Lord, I pray that uh, above all sacrifices is the sacrifice of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that truly uh, is the one sacrifice that uh, outweighs all others. May we be mindful, uh, Lord, and may we honor you as we uh, Lord, open our hearts to you and to your word. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we begin this Memorial Day, and the weekend's already kicked off, of course, and uh, it's the unofficial beginning of summer, and we look forward to it. Uh, we look forward to the activities of it, and we look forward to schools letting out, and we look forward to uh, being able to take vacations and uh, and. Uh, 
uh, fire up the barbecue, uh, not that that really ever stops around here, uh, to travel and relax, all of those things that we rightfully enjoy and look forward to, and uh, those are blessings. Uh, Memorial Day itself, however, is more about remembering the sacrifice of those that have made what we enjoy possible. Uh, those that stood and fought but never came home. Uh, those that uh, paid the ultimate price, that answered the call and laid their lives down and provided the freedoms that we enjoy. Our fatalities in military terms as far as major wars in our country's history, and we should have a, uh, a slide, I think, that gives these statistics. Um, and so uh, it shows just from this in descending order the, the most that we have. In the Civil War, there were 620,000 that, uh, that were lost. In World War II, we lost 405,399. In World War I, 116,516. Vietnam, 58,209. Korea, 36,516. In the Revolution, we lost 25,000. In the War of 1812, 20,000. In the Mexican-American War, 13,283. In the War on Terror, 7,075. In Spanish-American War, 2,446. In the Gulf War, 258. There were other conflicts, smaller, fewer deaths. And these are not total casualties, these are just fatalities. One million, three hundred, four thousand, seven hundred, two souls. Men and women that they'll never come home, that gave their lives for their country. Now to put that a little bit more of context to its time, the 25,000 that were lost during the American Revolution were lost to a population of just 2.5 million. The population of the United States in 2022 is 334,800 plus. Two and a half million, 25,000 were lost. In World War I, against a population of 100 million, there was 116,000, 6,100 a month for 19 months. You stop and put that in context, we've lost 7,000 in the war on terror over the last 20 years. 6,100 men and women a month for 19 months. In World War II, we lost 405,399. 9,213 people a month for 44 months. In the Civil War, 620,000 souls. It lasted 48 months. And for 48 months, 12,916 people gave their lives to preserve our country. A great sacrifice. A sacrifice that our nation today and those numbers would be unable to bear. Many of them are buried in cemeteries in Belgium and France and islands across the Pacific. And cemeteries in which most of those governments have designated and gifted that land to the United States so that our soldiers and sailors, airmen and marines would be buried in American soil, never to be repatriated, 
They gave all that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have today. At the end of World War, or the Civil War, excuse me, in 1868, there was a, uh, a general by the name of John Logan who was in charge of, uh, of some veterans groups to honor the Civil War that the dead uh, and the Union Army in particular across the Midwest. And, and they uh, were trying to come up with things that they could do to honor those that gave their life during the Civil War. And he issued a proclamation uh, declaring that May the 30th would be Decoration Day. Uh, Decoration Day is what initially was referred to as because uh, folks were invited to come and to bring flowers and other uh, memorabilia to the graves to decorate the graves of those uh, that had fallen. Uh, that was celebrated that way until 1971. By World War I, it became a day that was observed to, uh, to remember all those that had been lost in all wars in our nation. But it wasn't until a law passed by Congress in 1968 that took effect in 1971 that Memorial Day became a national holiday officially. It was designated that the last Monday in May uh, would be the day that we would remember, not Decoration Day, but Memorial Day, uh, those that sacrifice. Tomorrow you'll see political leaders laying wreaths at tombs of uh, the unknown soldiers and wreaths at other cemeteries, and rightfully so to honor and sacrifice their dead. The word memorial simply means that which preserves the memory of something. And so we mark our graves, we commemorate things that are important to us. It's not something that's foreign to scripture. You see uh, memorials throughout the scripture, places in where they uh, would erect monuments of stone and other things as a memorial, as a place and time of uh, remembrance. God here gives his name as a remembrance to all generations. And we look at these times and these things, and as Americans, we remember the sacrifice of our fellow countrymen. And as we remember the sacrifice of our fellow countrymen, I would say this morning that their sacrifice is worthy of our attention. And that their sacrifice is worthy of, uh, of our remembrance. And that their sacrifice is worthy of our service. To preserve the heritage, the nation, the values, the principles upon which she was founded. Not the principles in which a radical liberal universe wants to hijack and commandeer into something that she never was. But to look back at where we came from and remember and preserve who we are as a people. Whether our, regardless of what our background and histories are. Uh, we've been brought here by the Lord, and we have an opportunity to maintain freedom that the gospel might be proclaimed and go forth around the world. As a Christian, we remember the sacrifice of our Savior. And we cannot go without reflecting on his sacrifice. It's far more important uh, than even the sacrifice of our comfort countrymen, as valuable as that is to us. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the martyrs who paved the way in their blood for us to be able to know and to share and to, to live the gospel. The sacrifice that they made is worthy of our attention and it's worthy of our remembrance and it's worthy of our service. When we look at our lives and we live them, we should live them to the fullest to, the, to accomplish the will of God for each of our lives as he's given it. As we look this morning, we see that our text gives us the first use of this word uh, memorial in the scripture. When God says in verse number 15, 
that this is my name forever and this is my memorial unto all generations. I understand here he's talking to the children of Israel, Moses directly at this point. But his name is for all generations. And it's a memorial of him and who he is and what he'll do. The name I am, as it's given here, is the Greek word, or the Hebrew word rather that is pronounced Hayah. And it, uh, it is God saying, I am, uh, um, and, and this is my memorial to all generations. What does it mean? It means to be. The word I am, the name I am means to be. It also means to become. It means to come to pass. As in God is, God becomes everything we need him to be. God causes things to come to pass according to his will. It means to happen or to fall out, not fall out as in you locked your knees, uh, those of you that, are, that have served uh, and fell out in a formation, but fall out as in to make to happen. And uh, it means to arise. And praise God that he arose from a grave. Amen. And that he arises when we have times of need. And then he makes himself manifest in our life. It means to appear. And God will appear in every hour in which we need him. Uh, and in every day to give opportunity for us to repent of our sin and to return to him. It means to come. He comes to us. I'm glad that Jesus came and found me and sought me where I was and didn't have to leave me wandering around aimlessly about uh, trying to find my way. When I sought him, I found him because he was longing and he was looking and searching for me. It means to exist. Everything exists by him and for him and without him was not anything made that was made. It means to abide. Uh, and so he abides with us and he wants us to abide with him and his word and his law and to walk with him and his grace. It remains to remain and to stay constant, to be established. I'm glad that he establishes our foot upon a rock, that we don't have to be placed on shifting sand. But God, because of the essence of his name and who he has, he has proclaimed himself to be, says to his people that I am uh, and I will establish you. It means to accompany. You do not have to go through life. You do not have to go through battle. You do not have to go through sickness. You don't have to go through the journeys of, uh, of peril or whether they be times of, uh, of, of great victory or times of great defeat. Uh, he rises up and he says that I will accompany you through the fire and I will accompany you along the journey. That's who God is. That's the essence of his person. That's the essence of what he wants us to know about himself. And he says of all of this, and when Moses says, God, uh, you're, you're sending me back to Egypt where I've been, uh, where I had to flee to a people that haven't heard from you in 430 years. Well, who am I supposed to say sent me? And God says, I'll tell you who to tell them sent you. The one who will be what they need him to be. The one who will become what they need him to become. The one that will cause what needs to happen to come to pass. The one who will arise whenever no one else will on their behalf. The one who will appear before them and show them and lead the way. The one who existed before and will exist after. The one who is abiding with them. The one who remains to be among them. The one who will establish them forever. And who will accompany them from birth to death and to his presence if they'll let him. I am has sent you. I am is with you. And as I stand this morning here.
on this Sunday prior to Memorial Day. I want to just point out three things from our text and, uh, and, and this about God and saying, I am and I am as a memorial unto all generations. That I would say, number one, this morning, remember I am. We should remember him. Remember his promise. Remember who he says he is. Remember what he's told us about himself. Remember all the things that God has done for us and proclaimed for us and wants to do with our lives. Remember. Remember, first of all, what God has done. Remember what he's done. Remember where you were when he found you. Remember what your family's history is. Remember whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether you're a a first generation Christian or a fourth or fifth generation Christian relish where you came from and value your heritage and, uh, and understand and appreciate what God uh, has done in your life. Remember what he's done. What he says to him here, <coughs> excuse me, in verse number 16, he says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob appeared unto me. What's he saying? He's saying, go and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me. The God that you've been talking about for 430 years. The God that you've heard stories about. The God that Abraham followed out of Ur of the Chaldees down into the land that I'll give you again someday. Uh, the land that, uh, that Jacob paid for and the land that uh, that you were brought from uh, and when you came to Egypt to be preserved by Joseph. That is the God that calls you. Remember what he's done. He established a life of faith. He gave you a covenant of his promise. He's promised you a redeemer. He's given his life for you. He's, he's promising that Messiah will come. Remember what he's done. He's led you and he's provided and preserved you and given you grace. Secondly, I would say remember what he's doing. Seems like an odd thing. They're sitting here in slavery. They're being forced to build pyramids and monuments to Ramses and the Pharaohs. But I want you to notice again that he says here uh, in the text, and I have surely visited you. I've not left you here. I told Abraham back in Genesis that this was going to come to pass. I prophesied this, it's been necessary, part of the process. And I've come to you now. I have surely visited you. It's a wonderful thing whenever God visits his people. It's a wonderful thing when God reveals himself in our heart and our soul. It's a wonderful thing when God makes his presence manifest in our lives. I would say this morning, remember what he's doing. Remember what he's done for you. Remember how he found you and how he led you. Remember what it was like, uh, those of us that are older, when you were uh, a teenager, when you were in your 20s and life was exciting and you, uh, you longed for what you were going to experience instead of looked back and lamented over your mistakes. And instead of losing hope for the future, understand that God has done great and wonderful and marvelous things for us throughout the years. He's been with us every step of the way and, uh, and he's not done with us yet. Remember what he's doing. God's still alive. God's still working in your heart. God's still powerful. God still has a path and a plan for you. 
God still has uh, a purpose and uh, a promise for your life. Remember what he's doing. Say, well, pastor, I don't know that God's doing anything in my life right now. Then find him. He's longing to. He's, he's waiting for a surrender. He's waiting for you to, uh, to give in. He's waiting for us to come to him and say, I'm, I'm tired of fighting against what you have for me, God. I'm willing to give all. We sing the song often, I surrender all, but do we really mean it when we sing it? Are we really willing to say, God, everything, all of me, <coughs> all that I have, all that I possess, all that would be yours, I'm willing now to sacrifice and to lay aside and to give to you. Will I remember what he's doing in my life? Thirdly, I would say, remember what he's promised. Remember what he's promised again in verse 16 and 17. What he says here. Verse 17, and have I said, I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto a land, to the end of the verse, that's flowing with milk and honey. A land that's prosperous, a land that's, that's rich in soil, a, a land that can support and provide for you. Remember what he's promised. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, friends, that God has come to us and said, I don't care where you are, I'm coming to you. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what your baggage is. I don't care what your failures are. I don't care what your problems are. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care whether, you're, whether you've got a full head of hair or you're like the pastor and you're bald and paunchy and ugly. I, I just, I don't care what you are. I care about where I can bring you. Amen. And I'm coming to you. And I've done something in your life. And I want to do more. And I promised you. And I made promises to you. And I'll not forsake those promises. I'll be with you. You can count upon me because I am everything that you need me to be if you let me be. Amen. Remember what he's promised. Remember I am. His name is given for a memorial to us, to all generations. Remember him. Secondly, I would say this morning that we should respond to I am. It's one thing to remember. <coughs> it's another thing to respond. Verse number 18. And they shall hearken to thy voice. And thou shalt come. Thou and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. You're going to go, Moses, and the elders are going to come up with you. Respond. I think we see three responses here. We see, first of all, in Moses, a personal response. We have to respond to God personally. We could have all kinds of services. We could have all kinds of revival meetings. We could have all kinds of campaigns and different things that, that are aimed at bringing a regional, a national, or a church-wide revival. But the truth of the matter is, is that when revival comes, it begins in the heart of an individual. No one can help you be revived. You have to desire God's reviving in your heart and in your soul. 
In order for me to understand that, I have to understand that I've got something in my life that's between me and God that needs to be reconciled. And I have to be willing to seek his forgiveness and turn to him and allow God to be what I need to be. When God comes to Moses, when, when Moses is out in the wilderness and he looks up and sees the burning bush, he turns and he goes to God. And God reveals himself. And that's the way God often works in our life. God does something in our lives to reveal, hey, I'm here. Will we turn and see? Or are, do we already have it all figured out? And I'll tell you what the problem with some of us older heads in the room is this morning. Too many of us think we've already got it figured out. We've already been there. We've already done that. We've already experienced that. We've already uh, been betrayed. We've already been attacked. We've already been hurt. We've already been this. We've already been that. But when God steps up, are we going to just say, okay, God, I see you over there, but I've already done that. Or are we going to turn to him and find out why the bush is burning, but not being consumed? Are we willing to stop and to look up and to say, hey, God is alive and at work and despite of all the, the hardships of life, God is still great and God is still good and God is still on his throne. Yes. Well, I look and say, God, I will respond to you personally. I don't care about what brother so-and-so does. I don't care about what sister so-and-so says. I don't care about what this church is doing or that church is doing or this group is doing or that group is doing. God, you spoke to my heart and I respond to you. God wants to speak to my heart. God wants to work in your life. God wants to work in my life. Will I come to God and say, I'm turning to you, the bush is fire, but it's not consuming the burning bush. God, I want to know what's going on. I don't care if anybody else turns and looks. I'm coming to you. I'm responding to you personally. Amen. Until we're willing to respond to God personally. There's not much that's going to ever happen for God, with God, or through God in our lives. We'll always find someone else to blame. We'll always find uh, someone else to, uh, that, that, that's disappointed God more so we can look and justify our actions, our decisions, our attitudes, our spirits. Or we can just look and say, God, I am undone. Woe is me. I stand here casting off my shoes on holy ground as I come before you. I don't even understand who I'm talking to because the sight of you is so awesome uh, and powerful. But I stand here nonetheless. Who are you? I am. I am. Respond to him personally. When we respond and Moses responded personally, then the leaders responded locally. He says here, and they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, and the elders. The leaders of the people are going to come with you. Because you've responded and because you're sharing with them who I am, they will respond. This is still a promise that's not yet fulfilled. God's still telling him what's going to take place. Moses is still yet to go back across the desert and face them. But God is saying to him, I'm giving you my name as a memorial for all generation. And when you respond personally to me, it will inspire others to respond locally. 
Instead of sitting around and, uh, and fussing and being frustrated with other brothers and sisters in Christ and in the church and say, man, if brother so-and-so would just get right, we'd have revival around here. Just get right with God ourselves and watch revival come. Amen. Because when one responds, it inspires others to respond. And what we need is at Victory Baptist Church is to have an individual here and an individual there just get thoroughly right with God and surrender their heart so that when they do, others that sit around get under conviction, not by your words, but by your glow with God. And as that glow spills over, then others within the body of Christ get hungry for God in such a fashion. And as the church as a whole ignites, then it spreads to others throughout the community and can spread to others throughout a region and can spread across the state and a nation. That's how revival comes. It starts with you. It starts with me. Not waiting for someone else to be first. Respond personally and then others will respond locally and that will in time bring a response nationally. Notice that he says, and they shall hearken to thy voice and thou shalt come and thou and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days journey to the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. That's everybody. Everybody goes. Respond nationally. But respond. How long, Christian, has it been since you responded to God? How long... At the end of a sermon, since you made a trip to the altar. How long in your personal devotion life since you just simply read a chapter and checked it off the box in your list? How long has it been since you couldn't stop with the check mark but had to get on your face before God and do business with Him and be broken before Him in your life? Respond. How long since we responded? Our nation doesn't respond because the church hasn't responded and the church hasn't responded because the individual members of the church have stopped responding. Respond to God when he speaks to you. God speaking to us is a special and precious gift that we often take for granted. We expect it week by week. We want to come to God on our terms, but we have to come to God on his terms. Thirdly, I would say this morning, we need to revere I am. We need to remember him. We need to respond to him. And we need to revere him. Amen. The word revere <coughs> just simply means to adore, to admire, to appreciate, to exalt, and the last one, to enjoy. God wants to be enjoyed. You know, it's, it's one thing to be with people that you, that you love. It's, it's another thing to enjoy that time. Sometimes they're just by nature more enjoyable than others. And sometimes they're enjoyable because there's just great unity and harmony. Revere because he's worthy. Why should we serve him? Why, pastor, should I remember? Why should I, uh, should I respond to him? And it's simple. Why, if no one else does it, why should I? Because he is worthy. Amen. He's worthy. 
He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of everything that he requires because he's given all. Revere him. How long since we could say that we revered God? How long since we could say that I truly adored him? How long since I could say that I truly admired him? How long since I could say I truly appreciated him and exalted him? We have to have days on the calendar to remember. We had Mother's Day a few weeks ago. We have Father's Day a few weeks ahead. We set those days aside, and it's a good thing. I'm not saying that they're not. But we have to have a day like that to remind us to remember mom, to remember dad. When we were small, we adored, we admired, we appreciated. When we grow old, we forget, we get busy, and we take for granted. Oftentimes, Funerals are hard because we are faced with the, the, the truth and the reality that we neglected in the latter years, the needs of our parents. We look and we understand that in our relationships with our spouses, with our uh, other family members, that we go through this cycle. When you're first dating, courting your spouse, there's a lot of admiration. There's a lot of adoration. There's a lot of showering of love and expressions of gifts and wooing and winning and uh, shows of appreciation and exaltation. And, uh, and we enjoy the company. But the truth be told that after the years go by, it's, it's easier to focus more on the flaws than the good qualities that drew us together in the first place. And it becomes easier to, uh, to kind of lose that shine uh, and to take for granted rather than to appreciate uh, what the other person adds to our lives. And uh, we get frustrated that, uh, that they, they want to be made to feel better sometimes and, uh, and we want the same thing but uh, are not and then we lose the enjoyment and we go through that same cycle in our relationships as uh, with our spouses and with other family members and we go through that same cycle of relationships with God. A good healthy marriage requires humility and it requires submission on both parts. It requires leadership it requires remembering where we came from. It re requires remembering the sacrifices of life on the journey together. It, it requires appreciating the small things that are done that are easy to take for granted. It requires lifting one another up from time to time and never losing the ability to enjoy one's company and presence. My friends, this morning we need to understand that if I have the correct view and I revere God the way that I should, I will never lose my adoration for him. I will always admire him and his power and his love and his working in my life. I'll appreciate the things that he does for me, just the gift of, uh, of breath and the gift of, uh, of mobility, the gift of, uh, the gift of family and the gift of friends and a church family and all that God uh, gives us on a day-to-day -day basis, a roof over our heads and food uh, to sustain our needs and all the gifts that God has made available to us, admire them, appreciate them, and exalt him for that. Yeah, 
and enjoy what he's given, but in the midst of enjoying what he's given, don't enjoy the one who's given it. Don't forget to enjoy the one who's given it. Enjoy him. How does that go about? Just a couple of thoughts here and we'll be done this morning. I would say, first of all, worship him in sincerity and truth. Worship him. They were going to go out into the wilderness and worship. He said, you're going to go to Pharaoh. The elders are going to go with you. And you're going to tell him, the God of the Hebrews has visited us. And we're going to go worship him. Now, we know the story. We know that it wasn't that easy and a lot more things unfold. But in this context, this is what Moses knows. And by faith, this is what Moses is acting upon. Revere him. Worship him in sincerity and truth. Joshua told us that in chapter 24 and verse number 14 when he said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served in the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 8. He tells them, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Serve him, worship him in sincerity and truth. Don't be the kind of Christian that just puts on Christianity, your code of Christianity on Sundays and forgets it the rest of the week. Live for him from day to day. Live for him from moment to moment. Serve him, hold him in high regard, esteem him, adore him. Psalm 100 and verse number 2, we see that we should serve him not out of uh, despair, but with a glad and happy heart. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. God can put a song in your heart this morning. God can help you go singing along life's way. He wants to give you not just the life, but an abundant life. Not just life, but a joyful life. Not just, uh, not just the memory of who God said he was, but who God is. Who is he? He's I am. I am everything you need me to be. In whatever moment that you're in in life, I am here. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, if I die today, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. I am is here to save you. Yes. He's here to forgive your sin. Amen. He's earned the right to forgive that sin because he's paid for them. He's here to grant you mercy. If you're backslidden this morning and not walking with God, he's here to grant forgiveness and to restore fellowship. If you're in fellowship with God this morning, he's here to give you power to serve and to impact the lives of others. If you're serving faithfully this morning, he's here to give you joy in that service and to help you walk in gladness. If you're here this morning, you've lost the joy of your salvation. If you're here and you've failed to serve him like you once did. If you're here and you're struggling to find your way. If you're here and you need assurance of your salvation or you need to give your heart to Christ and trust him to save you. I say that we've been given a name as a memorial for all generations. I am. I am. I'm here. I will become. I will abide. I will walk with you. I will go everywhere that you go. I'll be everything you need me to be. If you'll just turn aside and you'll come and see me burn for you.